0: Hello, and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel.
1: I'm Kyle Crane, and today we'll be discussing Minute Number 49, which begins with Hicks continuing to o- open the storm shutters and ends with Ripley saying, That good, huh?
0: And yeah, that's Kyle Crane back again with us. Thanks for coming back, Kyle.
1: Oh, it's been such fun. Thank you for having me, John.
0: And we also have Genevieve Kosky returning again for this fabulous Thursday. Uh, thanks for coming back, Genevieve.
2: Oh, what a Thursday it is. Glad to be back. <laughs>
0: Isn't it a lovely <laughs> it's Thursday? It's such a lovely Thursday. So nice, so nice. All right, so now we're mid at forty nine. Uh, we're inside of some sort of structure, uh, one of the you know Hadley's Hope uh, colony structures. We've got Hicks closing, uh, opening the the shutter door. So we're getting a little bit of an external view, a nice little probably a map painting back there, wouldn't you guys guess? Or maybe some models, but probably a map painting through the window there, yeah. and uh, we're getting gorman interrogating newt now this is the worst person to be interrogating newt correct
2: yeah clearly a man with very little experience with children or trauma victims or or probably anyone really
1: His just is defined by inexperience, isn't he? He's talking to a person and being inexperienced. He doesn't seem to have any military experience.
0: Well, yet he's in charge, right? So he's going to take charge of every situation he's near. Yeah. Yeah, if he feels like he can. So uh, I'll, I'll get this info out of the kid, I'm sure, is, what, is the line we didn't hear previous to this. And what's funny to me, I never noticed this before until watching it really closely, but... We actually get, you know, when we cut from the shutter doors opening and the shutter windows opening to Ripley walking into the scene. So we're actually not starting with Gorman. Uh, We're getting him off off screen. And Ripley is immediately, like, walking into the scene with kind of a... A skeptical look on her face right like she's she's gone to get some stuff to help clean up yeah she's gotten the chocolate uh hot chocolate that we're gonna see later and she walks into this interrogation she's like oh shit come on like gorman is the one that's talking to this kid come on now
2: Yeah, she walks in side eye first yeah
0: yes absolutely (laughs) i think it's great yeah so we get immediately she's not going to have any patience with his bullshit uh walking into this scene so she walks in and we're getting Gorman interrogating her in the worst possible way, right?
2: Yeah, like his, like, just start at the beginning, he says. Like, what an ineffective prompt that is, you know, like, especially for a child. But, like, what constitutes the beginning here, you know? <laughs> exactly. so, he's, 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 he's just looking for answers. He's not looking to understand what, what's happened to her.
1: It's like, so your mother and father are dead. Tell me about that. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs>
0: you make it sound like he's talking to her like a psychiatrist or something. <laughs> There's not a, It's not like, so tell me how you feel about this mother. No, he's just like, where are they? Um, tell me. What, what's the first thing you remember? All these things. It's like, for God's sake, it's a kid, you know that they're not going to be able to respond to these. Of course, we know that they wouldn't be able to respond to these things. And Ripley knows that she's not going to be able to respond to these things. But Gorman clearly is completely... Tone deaf, which I think is kind of funny because it's almost makes it ironic the line that's total brain lock when he says that about her. It's really like, are you talking about yourself, Gorman? Because it seems like your mind is stuck in one straight mental state. I don't think that you have any idea how to adjust uh, to anything here. So uh, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I I will say that it's a kind of a criticism. Uh, You know, we had a little bit of a nitpick with the picture. In the last scene, that maybe it was a little clumsy. I kind of think this is a little clumsy too. It works fine, but it's also miss. It's either missing a beat or it's something we don't need. Like I'm not really sure what we value we're getting out of having this Gorman moment with with Newt. What do you guys think? I mean, is there something I'm missing here?
1: You know, I think it's it's just another build up for Ripley's character to show that she's the the human in this entire situation, the one that's going to be able to relate to another human being. Uh, and I think just kind of him. I guess it's a character moment for him too as well. You know, it kind of feeds into the, you know, where Vasquez asks him, you know, how many drops he's been on and I can't remember what his response is, but it, it kind of seems like Gorman got here probably through the politics of being in the military or maybe his dad got him the job or something like that. So I think maybe we're supposed to see again that, uh, you know, he's inept uh, at the way he's he's leading this entire unit and Ripley is the one with a heart. So she's going to win, she's gonna be the one who's going to be able to come in and actually talk to this child as if she's a human being.
2: Yeah, I I think, again, it's really just kind of about delineating the the difference between sort of the Marine approach to Newt and Ripley's approach to Newt, like the, the Gorman stuff. Uh, definitely but i also think in the line from corporal dietrich where she's like i don't think there's any permanent damage like she's she's talking about it physically you know she gave her like a a field examination and physically there's no permanent damage but there's some permanent damage (laughs) you know like you you can just look at her and know that there's some permanent damage so I, i feel like with the marines there's this very kind of surface level desire to want to know like what happened? You know, is everyone okay physically? You know, can we continue, you know, on our, on our mission, so to speak, whereas Ripley is actually seeing Newt and striving to understand her in a way that they are not.
0: See, my thinking is that I think if I'm right in the scene, I'm cutting Gorman because I really think that we don't need another, a moment like this for him. Like Kyle, the way, even the way that you put it was uh, you were saying, well, it's just another scene where we see the difference. It's just another scene where we get Gorman, um, how he clearly is incompetent. It's like, yeah, that's exactly right. It's just another scene where we get that. We've already gotten it so many times that I'm feeling like it's a little redundant. And i um, I'm wondering if it wouldn't have been more effective if it was, just Ripley walking in and Dietrich and we got the juxtaposition there where uh, Dietrich is looking at it from the perspective of a, of a medical officer and um, Ripley's bringing that more humane sensibility. We'd get all of the things that you guys are talking about, but we wouldn't need this kind of like, honestly, he kind of seems a little bit like Frank Burns from mash at the scene to me. Like he's kind of overtly comedically clownish as this like military goofball. And I'm like, oh, OK, now I am I think the reason why I'm seeing it that way is because like, OK, I think now we're getting into this redundant sort of phase where we'll still see him be incompetent and we'll still see him buck against Ripley. But it'll be in really meaningful moments like later when the actual attack occurs and he's in and he's unable unable to go into action um, here. It just feels like another beat another character beat that's a little redundant. and I, I I'm saying cut him out. We get Dietrich. we get a moment between Ripley and Dietrich. there might have been something there might have been something rich to mine from them those two interacting with each other. Um, and then just seeing this medical versus uh, human, You know, just like the science versus, you know, empathetic, like just human point of view of a child uh, over a woman in relation to a child. I I just think that it would have been more interesting. To me, this is a little bit too hammy.
1: Does it read like studio notes to you? You know, like somebody comes in saying, you know, we're really not getting this Gorman character enough. Maybe throw in something else here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Because I think even a studio would be like, well, this Gorman guy, what do we keep coming back to him for? I don't know. Maybe the... uh, i don't know i really don't know it just it feels like a little bit of the more negative cameron aspects where he's like we talked about how he's a little too much on the nose i think sometimes he's effectively on the nose i think a lot of the stuff with these marines should be on the nose i've said that before they are on the nose people so they should be but this one you know just my sense my gut feeling is okay now we're going a little too far with it let's let's this guy out of the scene it's this scene's all about ripley and newt we already know about ripley and gorman and i don't know to me i think it would work better without him
2: if if i'm being generous i i largely agree with you that his presence here is not really necessary but if i'm being generous and thinking like why he is here um i think this is maybe like the first time we see him starting to lose it you know like he the maybe i don't want to say panic is setting in but like before this he's had a certain amount of bluster in his incompetence you know and, and just like um kind of barreling into the uh, what the rest of the marines are doing like once they've you know made sure it's safe and but like here he is actually trying to do something and failing to do it and it's frustrating him and he doesn't know how to handle the situation and there's um and I think that is maybe kind of ramping up to when we see him just totally lose his cool uh a few scenes down, down the line during the alien attack um so you know I i don't know that you necessarily need that here but in terms of kind of charting that character's trajectory from kind of blustering incompetence to like total panic meltdown this is
0: a a point on that spectrum yeah i mean I, i agree that that's probably what they're getting at uh what cameron was getting at in this scene i think it's missing a beat then i think that i need one more beat then <laughs> we've gone from too much gorman
2: to we need more well, gorman.
0: <laughs> yeah yes because it, in my mind okay so if i'm having it's the push and pull of storytelling like you you say okay cut this i think this scene's too much cut it and then the director says to you um but i need it for this then i'm going to say well if you think you need it for that then i need Another beat because I'm not getting what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, if you really think that this is, is important, James Cameron, in telling me something about this character, then you're missing a beat because right now it's not playing. And so to me, it would play better even if they cut in on Gorman and we had a little back and forth between him and Newt. And maybe he actually kind of loses it a little bit on her. And says, come on, kid, you know, or anything, you know, that's not the good, that's not the line. But if he had a line where he tried to push her a little bit harder and then Ripley had to come in and say, hey, back off, man, then maybe I would feel it. But I don't feel it. I mean, now I feel like what you were saying... Uh, is is a totally valid way to read the scene. But I think we're kind of reaching for it a little bit in the way the scene plays as it as it stands. So either I want it gone or I want one beat more. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that this, this scene as it is, is a little too in the middle.
1: It is kind of funny where Ripley immediately comes in and she's like, give it a break, Gorman. And we've only seen like maybe three seconds of him talking to her. Like, maybe if there was something a little bit stronger, because the way I read it when Ripley comes in, she's like, give it a break, Gorman. Like, I was thinking, like, if if I met Ripley in real life, she would tear me to shreds of just, like, wasting time and saying the wrong thing if this is what she's going <laughs> to jump on before for. She's a great character to watch, but I would not want to have coffee with Ripley because I would not survive the the encounter. Um, But yeah, I I agree with you. You know, screenwriting sometimes is is you want to go bold and you want to go big sometimes because not that you don't trust the audience, but that you want to hammer home themes or you want to get something across. And this does kind of seem like a half step in the way it's played out here.
0: Yeah, all valid points uh, on that. I just but it's funny because I you know, you would think obviously we're in this you know deep dive discussion of aliens so we're always over over explaining everything or over uh studying things but in this case when i'm watching the movie uh in real time you know just sitting back and watching it i'm always kind of thinking about this scene as being a little clumsy and i think that we can talk it out and we can kind of come up with our reasons to justify his presence in it or how it plays but if you have to do that it's kind of, the, of a problem mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I just think that this scene could have been done better. There's a lot of scenes in this movie that could have been done better. And in most movies, there are scenes that could be done better. So, it's not really anything profound. It's just, man, I feel like there could have been a little more or way less.
2: (laughs) Um, I do think that uh, this is just another minute that really highlights Carrie Hens performance and particularly the physicality of it because this is a she's still silent at this point, you know, and she is creating her character entirely through her physical presence in this moment. And, you know, obviously the costuming and the hair help but you know in in this scene especially she just has the the feral child pose down pat I mean like like, I think it's the the combination of tension in her face and the total slackness in her body that it it gives the impression of someone who's just like physically worn down by the terrors in their mind (laughs) you know Um, I, I don't know to what extent she was coached to do that but um, or to what extent I'm projecting what I already know about the character. But whatever it is, I I think it works really well here.
0: Yeah, you can tell that there's more going on than just the costuming and yeah. hair and makeup. like Because, you know, children's performances through the ages have always been mostly questionable, some of them notable, some of them disastrous. Uh, I always think of the worst case scenario is, to me, The little boy in the Cassavetes film, Gloria, where my favorite actress of all time, Jenna Rollins, is in this amazing performance in this great movie with this great director and this kid that just ruins every scene. (laughs) And it's because he's just like, oh, well, let's dress him up. Let's do his hair. And then let's stick him in the scene and have him read these lines. And his body doesn't do anything. He doesn't inhabit the scene in any way. And I don't mean to talk poorly of a child, but it's just the worst possible like movie ruining performance to me. And it's got to be hard. I mean, I don't know if Cassavetes just didn't know how to direct a kid or what the deal was. But then you watch a guy like Spielberg. You know, you see some behind-the-scenes stuff of E.T. and so on. And uh, here's a guy that knows exactly how to tell a kid, because he's a man-child, I guess. He knows exactly how to tell a kid how to look at the world that he's building. And I think James Cameron must have had some of that. There has to be some direction here, right? With a kid that has zero acting experience... There had to be some coaching, like you said, Genevieve. That the, you know, you didn't know. I don't know either for sure, but I feel like somebody had to be telling her something that she could relate to, because her her instrument, as they say, her body really speaks volumes here. Just the way she's slouching, like you said, and it's a great. It's just, Carrie Hinn's great. It's just a great performance.
2: And it looks like her hair has gotten a first stage comb out from the last scene. You know, it's not it's not fully uh, defrizzed, but it's it's got, it's it's on its way.
0: Do you think Ripley might have, you know, in carrying her into this facility, yeah. Ripley might have run some fingers through yeah, it? Yeah,
2: a nice finger comb. Yeah, she's got some nice beach waves going on now. <laughs> uh
1: there's, you know, I just the other note that I have on here is just the um I like all the the late 80s futurism going on in kind of the set dressing for this. You know, you've got uh Cameron's kind of blue tones everywhere and kind of the stuff one of the things I love about uh, kind of the expanded universe that's come out of aliens is that uh, it looks like technology froze at like 1987 and just continued on in that format and I think this is what uh, probably in Cameron's you know uh, futuristic world would like a you know 2,179 whatever year this takes place and what an actual like office would have looked like you know you don't have flat screen monitors where everything's still like you know LCD monitors and stuff but uh, it's uh, some nice set dressing going on here but
0: well, and whatever that medical tricorder kind of thing that Dietrich has is supposed to be mm-hmm. I mean, I'd swear I'm not, I'm no gearhead by any means. And maybe, uh, our, our great contributing listener, Eric Moore out there would know more about this prop. But it, I think that that's the thing that they check your alternator with. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that thing, it has the little wavy, uh, l- the wavy lines on it. They're not even like sine waves. They're just little wavy <laughs> lines on there. Yeah. That apparently she was able to check her entire medical uh, well-being with which is great i have no problem with that in science fiction i love the fact that you could just take a device that has some lines on it and some knobs and wave it at somebody and go oh she checks out okay yeah you know that's fine but it i really think you know in the times that i've gone to the mechanic and say, yeah my my i don't know if it's my battery's dying or not they put that thing they attach that thing to your alternator and check to see if it's got any life in it so i love that that's creative that's creative set dressing you don't have to invent something to sell me on the ideas just You know, put something in there that looks like it does something. Yeah.
2: This is uh, skipping ahead to the next minute, but maybe it is somehow reading her personal data transmitter and whatever information Um. is on that. Maybe that is the machine that reads those.
0: (laughs) Man, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that, but I bet you anything. I mean, that's, it's almost a surprise. It's kind of a surprise that they don't say that. Yeah. Like, you would think that that's something. that might have gotten mentioned like you maybe you could have blended the se- two scenes together and had that exposition be in this scene or um instead of gorman being there it's uh, it's uh we're like i said like you said we're jumping ahead i think i will say what i was just about to say for the next minute because i'll completely blow one of my big notes for the next minute if i did but uh that you gave me genevieve you give me an idea for <laughs> something i was going to say that add an added feature to the what i was going to say in the next minute but I do you have to point out this this classic moment you know just good old fashioned storytelling element of Ripley bringing some sort of sustenance to the child. Like I think that's, it's just classic, you know, you're going to have this caretaker character. You need to build them as a character, a caretaker, bring some nutrients to the child, you know, just, even if it's just a little bit of chocolate milk, it's good old fashioned, just, any, any old person that can read this into the movie that, oh, she's the caretaker. She's going to be the caretaker now. She's the first one that thought to bring her some kind of sustenance. So it's just another moment.
2: And also just the physical act of feeding her because she can't do it for herself in this moment, or attempting to feed her, I should say, but of actually putting the cup to her lips. Like there's a tenderness to that that goes beyond just, you know, bringing her the cup and handing it to her, you know?
1: It, it, it kind of almost, almost has the uh, good cop, bad cop you know, like uh oh. interview type thing going on where one person's like trying to get something out of him. So the other person comes in and goes, I'm so sorry, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me talk to you for a minute. Would you like some pizza, you know, to try to coax it out of her. But uh, yeah, Ripley uh, serves the purpose of also, like you said, Genevieve, kind of like a, as a caretaker, you know, showing her some empathy and love and giving her some sustenance. Uh, but then also saying like, you know, this is a human being we're talking to not a piece of machinery Gorman that you're just going to continue to prod at and get the information you want out of it.
2: Oh, and actually, to pick up on what you just said, the idea of if that is the personal data transmitter and, you know, using a machine to get the information of of what's happened to her versus, you know, the, the very human approach that Ripley takes... I'm just going to, I'm just going to make that canon that that's what that machine does because I like it better that way.
0: Cool. I'm, I'm going to help you. We'll further canonize it tomorrow. Okay. Cause I'm going to help you do that.
1: Look, this is the, uh, the eventual uh, where we get, you know, with like a Fitbit or something like that. This is the next generation yeah. of that is uh, like a dog chip type thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's gotta be a, the PDT's gotta be the, the, the initial, like the Fitbit or the evolution of the Fitbit. I like it. That's, again let's let's save it let's save it let's talk about it more tomorrow well on that note are you guys ready to move on to the next episode no, I think so, yeah. yep all right genevieve uh please tell everyone again where they can find you online
2: you can hear me on the next picture show podcast where i am a co-host and producer i am also at vox.com at the culture section there and i am on twitter at genevieve Koski.
1: and kyle Uh, If you like Movies by Minute podcast, uh, my brother Brady and I did both Jurassic Park Minute and Ghostbusters Minute, the latter of which uh, John joined us on for a couple of episodes. Uh, We also did Goonies Minute and have a sports podcast that drops every Monday called Undrafted. Uh, That's a lot of fun. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Kyle Crane, where I am giving out my uh, juvenile political takes on what's going on in the world right now.
0: All right, and you can find us at AlienMinute.com, on Twitter at AlienMinutePod, or on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast. And like uh, Kyle said, if you like Movies by Minute podcasts, you can find them all at MoviesByMinutes.com. Go over there. There's, I believe, 760 of them now. Just kidding. It's not that many, but I'm just guessing by the time this episode airs, maybe there'll be that many. But you could probably find pretty much any movie that you really love talked about in this minute by minute format so head on over there and check it out all right well that's going to do it for minute 49 we'll see you tomorrow for minute 50